You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey everybody, it's episode 132 of the Pemcron Warhammer Podcast, and tonight we are brought to you by GameMat.eu for all of your pre-painted terrain and your beautiful mat needs, in case you didn't get that from the name GameMat.eu. Also, guess who else supports the show? Our beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. And uh, that was Airhorns, in case you didn't know. Uh, what are we covering tonight? We've got the Shard Speaker of Slanesh is our want that or want that not for the model this week. And we discuss whether we want that or whether we don't want that. That's based... You know what? I'm not explaining these segments anymore. You're going to have to figure it out on your own. If you can't get it from the title, then you don't know. We also have a weird Tesseract mailbox. I have had about 10 to 15, let's just say a dozen comments or emails or text messages or Facebook messages things and even one in person about what happened to the second P in Pimpcron and why is it Pimcron? Well, you'll have to figure that out when you listen to that segment. And finally we have an age old question. Are you whipped or are you just courteous with your significant other? When they tell you or ask you to stop doing things or to curb your habits with wargaming or you're spending too much time on it or you're spending too much money on it or whatever, are they being reasonable? Are they not being reasonable? If you actually go into what they want you to do and you actually go, okay, I fold, sure, I'm going to stop doing it or limit my usage of it, does that make you whipped? What is the definition of whipped? So that's what we get into there. Uh, that's the show for you. So what have I been up to this week? Well, um, I don't remember yesterday, so it's hard to say exactly what I've been up to. On Wednesday, I actually got to try my Tomb Kings Codex, and I tried um, one of the dynasties that is friends with the desert creatures, and they basically, all the units are infested with beetle swarms, and at the beginning of each combat phase, they do D3 minus one mortal wounds to anyone they're in close combat with. And that's pretty fun. So uh, that actually worked out pretty well because the Tomb Kings still, despite my little tweaks, they still don't pack a huge punch. They're better than they were, but they don't pack a huge punch. So that D3 minus one mortals did actually help. I mean, you could end up doing no mortals, but one or two extra mortal wounds in each combat is not too bad, especially if you get two or three several different units in combat with one unit. Um, and then, you know, I don't... Oh, I won by one point. I won by 21 to 20 is what I won against his Beasts of Chaos. So it was a very close game. We had very little left on the table at the end of the game. Then I had Just James over, and we tested the Tomb Kings again versus his uh, Ogre Maltrob. Wow, that came out really Southern. Ogre Maltribes. And against my another chapter of my Tomb Kings, and the um, the chapter of my Tomb Kings I was playing gave all of my reanimate units an extra wound at the start of the game, and they all heal one hit point at the start of each, uh, each one of my hero phases. Um, I found out that really that helps a lot with the Ushabdi, and it works really well with the Sepulchre Stalkers and the, um, the, whatever, Knights, uh, Necropolis Knights. Those are all reanimants, and that works really well when all of your Ushabti now are five wounds instead of four, or, or whatever it was. But 
when it comes to like your Kemrick Titans or your um, Necro Sphinxes or any of that, I mean, 12 wounds going to 13 wounds is kind of like meh. I mean, it, it helps a tiny bit. And healing one each hip, each hero phase is kind of like okay. So it didn't really help that much with the monsters, but it did help a lot with the smaller units. So that would help you theme your army if you wanted to take that. Sure, take the bigger monsters or take the smaller units, but it's not going to be super helpful. Um, and in other words, I mean, that's just your general dynasty ability. So it ended up helping some, but the Ogre Mall tribes uh, actually wiped me off the table. So that was really, really fun. And it just so happens that a lot of the tweaks that I've made work towards hordes and they don't work towards Ogre Mall tribes. Like a lot of them, um, they get, get double damage if it's the save of five up or higher is the save characteristic of their enemy. Is that what the knights get? And uh, the Ogre Mall tribes are all fours. And then, you know, other things. Just And also the Mall tribes made some fantastic charges at me in the first turn. So they got multiple people charging me and I get multiple buffs for charging. So it didn't work out as well as I wanted. The Necrosphinx really held his own. He was he was surrounded for several turns and he still um he still put up a good fight. He eventually died, but he put up a good fight. So I might be tweaking that chapter tactic to be plus 2 wounds for behemoths and plus 1 wound for regular reanimates. Um, because actually, I don't think we have a behemoth that isn't a reanimate. So that works. Then, very exciting news, I started working on one of my supplements for Brutality that is changing or just barely tweaking Brutality rules to fit other genres. So ultimately, uh, depending on how long this will end up being, but um, after I release my narrative mission modules in May or June, uh, I got to pick my next project because I want to do two projects a year. Every six months you get a new supplement for Brutality and all the other supplements are completely valid, but these are just new ways to play. Just like the Bestiary and the Gauntlet mode was just a new way to play. Um, so I will be doing the narrative mission modules, like RPG modules in May or June, and then come the end of the year I will be releasing something else and I haven't started working on that yet. But I have made rules for mech battles, and boy, that has been fun. And to be honest with you, um, I don't know if I'm getting better at, at game design. I don't know. Um, like the um, Lord Dreadmore's Gauntlet was instantly usable. Like it worked really, really well the first time around, which there was minor, minor tweaks to make. But after I designed it on paper, I played it a dozen times and it actually worked beautifully. It was just just about perfect for the difficulty level and the mechanics of everything. It worked fantastic. Well, then I decided in about an hour, I figured out a way to do big mech battles. Like if you want to use mech warrior or whatever and make it feel like mech battles. And um, in about an hour, I had a usable um, template for how to do this. And it's using all the normal brutality rules, but with just a couple minor tweaks here and there. Um, like critical hits do something slightly different in this than they would in regular brutality, but you still get rear arc charges, you still get all your regular buffs, you still have all the same classes, all that's the same. But, um, so what's funny is I played three different games, and this is the same way I play tested brutality, is I did two mechs versus two mechs. And it came down to just one stand-in at the end. They had basically killed each other, and it was a really close game. So I said, okay, cool. Well, that just... I mean, I'll, I'll play it more than that. But I just wanted to try a different style now. I'm like, okay. 
So what if I do a bunch of non-mechs? I have tanks and stuff from Mech Warrior. So I did two mechs versus a bunch of tanks, which were not as powerful. There was more of them, but they're not as powerful as the two mechs. And it came down to just one mech at the end of the game. So darn, that's pretty darn good. Um, and I mean, he was almost dead. He had one or two hit points left is all he had. So that was really close. Then I thought, okay, well, let's be extreme about this. I also have the little soldier units from Mech Warrior. If you remember, they're like eight millimeter or five millimeter. They're very small. And I did 12 of them. I was doing a 12 point list. So I did 12 of those. I'm sorry, I was doing a six point list. And each one of these is half a point and one hit point. I did 12 of those versus two mechs. And darned if that was not a very, very close game. At the very end of the game, I had two human squads left of troops and one mech. And one of the human squads blew up the last mech left. And then when he exploded, he killed one of the other human squads. So at the end of the game, when all the smoke settled, there was just one human infantry squad left. And I got to tell you, you can't make a game more balanced than that. Now, it could have just happened. But I played three different games, three different ways, using 90 to 95% of the normal brutality rules, and they all worked perfect. So, um, yeah. So I'm thinking that as long as all of these variants to the brutality rules aren't super, super page heavy, which I don't think they will be, because they're still going to use the core brutality rules, um, I my plans are to make a mass battle brutality game where they have units, but I'm doing it in my own way to make it super fast and customizable. And um, it will still be in the same brutality style and everything is normal. Masked battle, like Warhammer Fantasy Battle. I'm going to do a mech battle game. I'm going to do a superhero version, which is super fun and super easy to do. I'm also going to do a naval battle version. And I'm also going to do a spaceship battle version, which the naval and the spaceship battle will be quite similar. But they will have a few key differences. And man, I am so excited about this. So I just got to finish this narrative module, but it will, if you already know how to play Brutality, then these will just be a tweak, a 5 or 10% difference, but it will be enough that it will be very different. So um, it's, so far I played three games and every single one of them was a knuckle biter. Knuckle biter? Nail biter. <laughs> knuckle biter. I'm stupid. Anyway, so uh, I played um, some Brutality this weekend with just James. That was fun. And then uh, my buddy Mick Storman came over and we played some Brutality. So I've played a bunch of Brutality this weekend, and I played Tomb Kings twice. I've uh, I've uh, played a lot this week. I usually have maybe one person over a week or something like that. And um, yeah, got a, got a lot of people over now. So need, maybe need to stop that. Anyway, let's get on with the rest of the show. And uh, thanks for supporting us, Patreon patrons and GameMat.eu. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey, you know what time it is? It is Tesseract mailbox with the Pimpcron. And this week we actually have a Tesseract mailbox without a letter. Uh, because we actually got about, I didn't count them, but between... 10 and 15 letters over the last couple weeks of exactly why did I drop the second P in pimp cron and why am I pimp cron now and a lot of people have been asking me I'm not going to read all your letters I'm sorry uh, many of them were just one sentence such as are you having bladder problems and because it's a it's a P and it's a 
it's your it, never mind and it's uh a lot of them had to involve urine puns <laughs> Uh, but most of them were just like, hey, why are you dropping the second P? So the answer to that is actually multifaceted. The answer to that is, um, so first off, the elephant in the room is the whole pimp thing. A lot of people are offended by the pimp word, and it rustles up all sorts of negative feelings about stuff. Obviously, this is a stupid name. Obviously, I'm not condoning the sex trade. Obviously... I don't think pimps are cool, right? It was just a silly name because my Necrons are purple and gold. I've said that a million times. But I also don't like cowing down to, eh, you know, politically correct culture, that sort of thing. I don't really much care for it. On the other hand, I do actually kind of see what they mean because of the whole sex trade and all of that. That word is kind of um, out of favor, at this point. And I completely understand that. Although admittedly, I didn't really care that much. If it was 100% up to me, well, it was 100% up to me. But if there were no other factors other than that is what I should say. If there were no other factors involving my name other than that some people got a bad feeling in their belly when they heard my name, I would not have changed it as I have not for the past six years. But one thing that I had noticed in, in the last couple years, especially doing the podcast and Potentially, air quotes, asterisk, potentially, a YouTube channel is that a lot of people, when I'm asking for interviews and I contact people, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm Pimpcron from Bill of All Souls. A lot of people seem to give me kind of like a Pimpcron. It, it does not involve any sort of professionalism. It doesn't involve any sort of it doesn't garner any respect. Now, if people know me, that's helpful. Sure. But the actual word pimp is a is not it's not something you really want to put on your resume. You know, it just doesn't and I've had several people do interviews or, or not do interviews because it may not entirely be because of my name, but when they heard that I'm a pimp cron, I got the feeling that it negatively impacted it. So I've contacted many people for interviews, and I've obviously interviewed some of them. I've interviewed Sable I've interviewed um, Fear This Customs and um, Alan Merritt and several other people. I have interviewed people, but uh, there have been other people that just decided not, they didn't want to be on it for whatever reason. But I often kind of was embarrassed to say Pimpcron like some idiot. So that was the main reason. And I thought, well, you know what? This is kind of the opportune time. I was not married to the name Pimpcron necessarily, but the problem is you do start having a brand recognition. You do have people that recognize the name Pimpcron, and they know what it stands for, and they love Pimpcron, or they hit Pimpcron, or whatever. And I really couldn't avoid and just get rid of Pimpcron completely and start being, you know, uh, Cron Jr. Well, that's my son. Cron Meister. Can't be Cron Meister, because no one's going to know that's Pimpcron. So, uh, I don't mean to be dragging this out, but essentially going over to spiky bits from bell of lost souls gave me the perfect opportunity to rebrand and not have a quote unquote icky word that a lot of my interviewees didn't seem to care for and but i still wanted to keep it phonetically the same so taking the second p out was just pimcron now coupled with that um spiky bits was not thrilled about the name either they're like uh, man is there anything you can do with that name and I thought, well, this is the perfect time to rebrand myself. So I was not married to the name. 
and people sometimes feel it icky, and I feel like I've gotten some negative reactions to it on um you know through interviews and things like that. And potentially I want to do a YouTube channel and I don't know about their community standards and things like that. Having the actual word pimp in the middle of it, I, I don't know. But now I can, the people that already know me as Pimpcron can call me Pimpcron. It doesn't matter. And the people that don't know me and are going to learn about me are going to just know me as Pimpcron. And obviously I still have the pimp hat and all that, but it's not as obvious and it doesn't have a no-no word in it that maybe some bot on YouTube will censor or whatever. So it is not, it is not an easy answer. Essentially, I wanted to go with something that was just a touch more professional, I guess is the final answer to that. And then there were also multiple, multiple different minor factors in that. So I, um, like I said, I am not a big fan of politically correct culture because I'm a big fan of humor and I feel like humor and the PC culture don't really go well. I mean, a lot of humor is being offended. You know, that's what that dark humor or that dirty humor is. And the PC culture is all about not being offended. And I don't, you know, I mean, nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not saying you should just go around and be an asshole. But on the other hand, I'm not going to change my name just because some people don't like it. That's not who I am. And you probably know that by now. So... Just trying to turn over a slight new leaf, but still have the people who know me still know me and be able to recognize me. That is basically the whole point behind this. So for all of you, at least a dozen people who have emailed me or um, Facebook messaged me or whatever, now you can... I actually even had a guy last weekend or weekend before last, whenever I was in the tournament, last weekend. And I actually had a guy come up to me and go, so, uh... Uh, why, why'd you take out that second P? <laughs> he didn't, he didn't say that he knew who I was, but uh, I mean, he said, why'd you take out that second P? So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, anyway, so there you have it, folks. That is the, uh, big old scoop about how Pimpcron lost his second P. Want that or want that not? Hey, on this week's Want That or Want That Not with the Pimp Crown, we discuss the Shard Speaker of Slanesh. So this is part of the Hedonite Slanesh release that they have been doing. And um, I, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that just yet. So this is a support wizard to make the enemy vulnerable to your troops. And she definitely is giving off a, what was that woman's, Rita Repulsa, Rita Repulsa from, uh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, if you guys remember her. And she definitely has a Rita Repulsive vibe. She's got horns. She's got that Persian aesthetic that we've known and loved from all the new uh, models of Slanesh. And she's got a staff, and she's got one of the veils on her face, and she's draped in all this ornate clothing with scarabs and Slaneshi symbols and all that. And, you know, to be honest with you, I will just cut to the chase. I love this model. I don't know why. She's nothing specifically interesting as far as wizards and sorcerers but once again I'm loving this Persian motif I don't know why I just really really dig it and I love the smoke coming out of her it's painted to be clear I don't know if it's actually a clear um, ball or not but I'm loving the smoke coming out of the ball on her staff and I'm loving that she's got this other thing with a Slaneshi symbol on it that looks like a glass ball and the veils I'm loving. I love the veils from the Lumineth Realm Lords woman. I love this veil. 
I guess I got a thing for veils. Didn't know it. Um, one thing is kind of funny. She's got high heels on. Is it just me, or does every single woman have high heels on in Warhammer? Because I was looking the other day, and I'm like, oh, the Sisters of Battle have high heels. Okay, cool. And then I look over at another character, I'm like, oh, she's also got he- high heels. And when we were talking about the um, the most sexy Warhammer models, we're like, oh, look, another woman with high heels. Like, why do they all have to have, have high heels? This is a very, very minor nitpick. But seriously, why do they all have to have high heels? <laughs> Can't someone have, you know, platform boots or just regular shoes? Or how about some sandals? Nice pair of flip-flops? Like, I mean, the possibilities are endless here, people. I mean, you've got a neat neat, uh, veil over your face. you got horns. you got all sorts of gems. And then high heels? Because I'm getting, and I know Slanesh is not actually from the desert, but being Persian and all, I'm really getting a sand vibe, like a... A Middle Eastern sort of vibe here, and high heels don't do so well in sand. Now, I know that's not really a deal, but shut up. And she destroys the very soul of your foes, which is kind of a neat thing. That would definitely put that on her Instagram or on her uh, Tinder profile. So, ultimately, I love her. I want her. That's right. I would definitely get her, and I probably will when I get this new army. And um, I've been selling a lot of stuff off lately, a lot of my old Warhammer stuff. And you know what? That might just fund my new Hedonites of Slanesh army. Ding, ding, ding. She's $30, which she does not look like an extremely large model. So uh, that's whatever. It's the same $30 you get for all the heroes. And uh, I think that's a little pricey. I miss when heroes used to be 15 but what do you do? She looks cool. She's a cool-looking model. I love the smoke. Everything about her. I don't really have any drawbacks about this model at all, to be honest with you. And I always thought Rita Repulsa was really cool-looking, too. So, you know, I guess that's a plus. Anyway, definitely I want that, and I mean it this time. I'm probably going to be buying her because of the Hedonites Lanesh. So, that's not just... I'm just not bullshitting you about this. I really do want this model. Toodles! Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. On this edition of Real Talk with the Pimpcron, we are covering Is the Pimpcron Whipped or Just Courteous? Howdy, everybody! The Hero You Deserve Pimpcron is here to discuss a touchy subject. At the beginning of this segment, I want to clarify a couple things to frame it into perspective. I am a guy. <gasps> I know, I know, but I am a dude, and I see this through a dude's eyes. And I'm sure somewhere out there is a wargaming woman who has this exact issue with her non-wargaming partner. I don't know how that situation would be different from mine, if at all, but I personally know this is a big thing with male wargamers and their spouses. Specifically, their non-wargamer spouses. I don't have the time to explore every single possible angle on this, so I will explain it from my point of view. Up until now, I've been free. My wife and I do not control each other in any way, really. We have always allowed each other to do whatever we want. Very early in our relationship, she learned that I was very wary of being, quote, whipped. And if she tried to tell me that I, quote, couldn't do something, I'd definitely do it out of spite. (laughs) I don't know how that makes you see me, but very, very concerned with being whipped. Um, For instance, my grandfather is extremely whipped. 
And my grandmother will basically rules the roost and whatever she says goes all the time. So I was always very leery of being whipped like that. Now, me doing things out of spite might seem petty, um, but that sets the tone for our freedom in our relationship for all these years we've been together. That being said, I'm older now and more responsible to our relationship's needs. That's what happens as you get older and you respect your partner. As long as she asks me to do something or to not do something and doesn't command it, I will consider her point of view. And same thing with her. She will consider my point of view. It's not just me being a big man brat. It's we both respect each other's points of view and we consider it. Now, if I'm being completely honest with you, I still have a spiteful streak deep down and she knows it. I have a few friends that are completely controlled by their wives and this homie don't play that. So at the time of when I started Shorthammer, I had been in the hobby for about eight years at that time, and she had put up with my nights out at the gaming club every single week, and having friends over once or twice a week to play Warhammer or Brutality, and I have an entire room dedicated to my wargaming stuff and terrain and all that. And she hasn't really ever said much when I leave my wargaming paraphernalia lying around, or when I hobby on the kitchen counter while the family is watching a movie. Or spending too much money on this hobby and accumulate my dozen or more different armies in 40k and my uh, Firestorm Armada fleets when I used to play that and my, god, probably a dozen Age of Sigmar armies. Uh, on a side note, I, I am a fiscally responsible adult and my hobby spending has never threatened our financial stability or anything. But like many of you, I still feel like I do spend too much on it. Like I said, she's a saint. She's put up with all of this. She's put up with the Shorehammer and all that all these years. But it all kind of came to the head when the first year we started Shorehammer. And I was playing my uh, war games at my normal frequency. And I was hobbying like normal and spending literally hundreds of hours of work in preparation for my convention's Shorehammer after my normal job each day. Because that first year had so much more work to put into it. Um, all the terrain to make and all the terrain to paint. And I had to, I had to build up all of this at one time and then figuring out how all the tournaments are going to be scheduled and figure out how people can buy tickets and figure out what website to use and set up in a website for Shorehammer and doing a, oh my God, man, it was, it was a ton of, a convention is a ton of upfront work if you want it to be professional. So in addition to all of my normal stuff and work, then I also had Shorehammer prep. And it's no surprise in hindsight that it finally became too much for her. We had one of our rare arguments, and from it came the statement, can you just take a break from Warhammer for a while? Now, once again, this is Warhammer and Brutality are two of the things that I absolutely love in, in life. So naturally, I was very irritated when she said, can you please just cut it out for a while? And if you don't already know from my podcasts and my articles and all that, I don't usually play video games anymore due to children. And we don't have cable or satellite or anything like that. We have no television connection. So the only thing I do for fun is play Warhammer and Brutality and I hobby. This is how I relieve my stress and spend time with my friends. So when she asked me to stop doing the only thing I enjoy as a pastime, you might understand where my old rebellious streak started started surfacing. 
One thing you have to understand about my wife is that she has no actual hobbies. She never really has. So I felt like she just wanted me to be like her. And I mean, that may not be completely out of the out of the realm of possibility, but I definitely felt it then. I was not seeing her side at first, but or or even realizing how much time I've spent on Shorehammer prep above and beyond all of my hobby and gaming time. I thought she was just really being selfish. I couldn't believe that my wife was actually telling me to stop the one hobby I love. I took some time to think about it, and here is the conclusion I came to all those years ago. I had to do some soul searching. Was I whipped, or was I just being courteous if I did change my habits? It's kind of an unwritten rule that all male gamers accept that spouses and partners have a say in whether or not you make a gaming meetup. But everyone kind of mimes the whipping motion when someone says, sorry, I can't come, insert name, wants to do something as a family, or whatever the excuse is. The moment men hear other men can't do something because of their spouse, the thought instantly comes up in their brain that that guy must be whipped. Right? Even if they do understand the situation, it still surfaces. It's still in the back of your mind. So for the first time, I sat down and thought about the situation. When you're in a relationship, you have to make a social agreement with that person to live together and share your life together. Well, obviously, compromises have to be made at some point, or you just have two super selfish people pulling each other in opposite directions, and you would get nowhere. And honestly, that is the 50% divorce rate we have. But where is the line between me being her slave and cutting out my literal only hobby that I have, and me being a good and courteous husband? I came to realize that I was spending some time away from the family due to the game and the hobby and all that, but it was fine until all the prep for Shorehammer was added. You see, I didn't have a panel of experts or board of directors. Everything you saw at Shorehammer was written, printed, edited, thought up, created, or otherwise done by me with a few exceptions. And that is still to this day. We are in, what was this, our fifth year? And I still literally do 90-95% of everything. In hindsight, it would have been awesome if I would have had some help with things besides our train painting days. But having all of that stress and workload blinded me to the time I was no longer spending with my family. So after thinking about it, I kind of came to the conclusion that if your spouse is constantly interfering with your activities arbitrarily, then you're whipped. And unfortunately, there isn't much change in it unless it's in the beginning of your relationship. Once the balance or the trajectory of your relationship is set, it is quite hard to change it. Because people will go, well, why are you changing it now? Matter of fact, that's a lot. Trajectories, trust me, I love philosophy. I love contemplating existence and all of that. And what I tell my wife all the time, no ma- almost no matter what the scenario is that everything is trajectories. You set your children off on a trajectory. Sure, they can, you know, you might do everything right and your children still grows up to be a a drug addict asshole. Totally. That could happen. But the trajectory of what you set your child on when you're raising them is the direction that they're generally going to go unless something terrible happens. And the same thing with relationship. Um, like, if you never ever disciplined your, your child, right, their entire life, 
And then all of a sudden, and I actually knew someone that this happened to. They were never disciplined their entire life. And then suddenly, when they became a teenager and people were uh, wanting to hang out with them and they wanted to stay out late and all that, suddenly their parents had something to say about it and suddenly their parents wanted to punish them and do all the stuff. Well, obviously they were like super offended and couldn't believe their parents were doing this because they had never been punished before. They'd never been, you know, had any discipline before. So once again, the trajectory they were set on did not include being punished or made to do things they didn't want to do or being restricted. So that's the same thing with any relationship. Whatever you set to be the norm in the beginning of the relationship is basically how it's going to go. You can't do every single little teeny thing that your significant other asks you to do. I mean, at the drop of a hat and you're completely at their beck and call. And then all of a sudden one day go, no, they're going to be like, what? You've never, ever told me no before. How are you going to start doing it now? And that's basically it. So the conclusion I came after all of this is that your spouse is constantly, I mean, if your spouse is constantly interfering with your activities arbitrarily, then you're whipped. And unfortunately, there isn't much change in it unless it's in the beginning of your relationship. Once the balance of your relationship is set, it's quite hard to change. And she wasn't telling me to take a break. She was asking. Literally, she was asking me to take a break. It wasn't some sort of demand she was sending down from her throne. She was asking me as a partner in life. But being that I use wargaming cathartically, I didn't want to lose that completely. So for nearly the first time in our 15-year relationship at the time, uh, I had to, at least partially, give up something that I love for the health of our relationship. So I decided on a compromise that I was partly happy with and she was happy with. I decided that she wouldn't be exposed to wargaming any more than she had to be. I removed all of my paraphernalia from the counter I kept it on, and I'm not going to, or I, I didn't talk to her about wargaming anymore, and I wasn't going to hobby while the whole family is home, and I wasn't going to spend, I mean, I was going to spend time with them instead of having my attention divided. So... I would still go to the gaming club each week and I'd still have people over to play. Plus Shorehammer prep had been put to rest until the next year at that juncture, which was the biggest issue out of all of this. So now everything is hunky dory again. Once I enacted that and I still got to do what I loved, but I tried to limit her exposure to it. Now, another thing I also did is I tried to put myself in her shoes, right? Let's say she was way into knitting. Okay, just a typical, stereotypical woman thing. Let's say magic. Okay, let's just do magic cards. Um, I would never, ever marry a magic player. But let's just say magic player. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so let's just say that she was super into magic. And she was constantly buying packs and sorting cards and all of that in her free time. And she was constantly filling her binder with different cards. She was constantly making new decks. She was constantly watching Twitch for the magic tournaments. She was constantly looking to see what the new rule set's going to be. She's constantly going to Friday Night Magic to play. And she has a whole room dedicated to magic cards. And then she decides she wants to start doing a magic article each week. And at the time, I didn't do a podcast. But she decided to start doing a Magic the Gathering podcast. 
And then she decided to do a Magic the Gathering convention. And, I mean, I don't really know what you do for that ahead of time. There's no train or anything. But you get the point. I think I would, I probably would be in her position as well. I would eventually be like, you know what? I think I've had enough of this magic stuff. I don't want to see magic. I don't want to hear about magic. I'm sick of magic. Magic is your hobby, Cronet. It is not my hobby. And I don't want it to take up any more of my life or time away from our family. So once I got thinking about it like that, I was thinking... Yeah, I can definitely see that point of view, and I guess I was being selfish. I'm one of those people, you often hear about scientists or creatives that get really obsessed with something, and I can get really, really obsessed with something. That's why like, we don't keep sodas in the house or anything, because I have a very addictive personality. I will drink every single soda in the entire house. Like that's That's what I'll do. I have never, ever known or looked up the definition of moderation. And my creativity goes the same way. I will I will literally put in a good 40 or 50 hours of developing the new brutality module or editing the book or coming up with new, you know, whatever for brutality. And I will literally do that 40 hours a week on top of, in the summer, my 70 or 80 hours of work. I mean, I, I legitimately will do that. Um, so... I When I go into something, I go all in with it, basically. So, I definitely understand where she was coming from. And in the end, um, now this has been, you know, five years ago. So, when when this originally happened. Um, and now everything's fine. Um, my prep for Shorehammer every year is at a moderate level. You know, I got over that hump. You know, when you start anything new, like a convention, it's like this giant snowball. And you have to put a lot of force to get it rolling, get that ball rolling. And then once you get the ball rolling, then it gets easier to maintain that speed that you want. And that's what happens with Shorehammer now, is that, you know, I basically know how to run tournaments. I basically know how to do this. I basically know how to whatever. And um, everything is kind of, you know, smooth sailing now. I didn't have to take all this extra time to, uh, to, to do everything ahead of time for that first year. And luckily, things like Brutality, if I get really deep into it for a week and she starts giving me the side eye because I'm spending five hours a night or whatever on the computer editing or creating or whatever, or playtesting or whatever, I start going, oh, maybe I should dial this back just a little bit because I do get obsessive about stuff. So in the end... Um, everything's back to normal, basically. I still do try to not tell her about Warhammer. I try not to tell her about Brutality. I just try to keep it out of her mind. I still have friends over. I still go to the gaming club. All of that stuff. Um, but the the best thing is, is to be sensitive to your partner's needs. And it does not mean that you're whipped. It also doesn't mean that you're not whipped. If you are super overly sensitive, like I said, at the beck and call of your partner, then yeah, you probably are whipped. But if your partner is literally saying, look, this is something that's seriously a problem. These are the X, Y, and Z reasons why it's a problem. And could you please work with me in altering it? You don't have to stop it. You don't have to whatever. But could you just slow it down? Could you just dial it back for a little while? And um, to be honest with you, as you get older, you, at least in my experience, as I get older... I feel like it's easier and easier to compromise with my wife than because we're on the same team. I mean, you and your spouse, you are on the same team. So it should not be one of those things where, 
you know, it's, it's mine and it's yours and it's all, no, you should be working together. And if something really bothers her, she lets me know. If something really bothers me, I let her know. And don't be a jerk about it. Don't, you don't have to yell and cuss and all that. You can politely ask them, Hey, this really bothers me. Could you please, you know, can we work together? Blah, blah, blah. And a lot of times if it's something that's big, I'll say, well, look, I want you to start or stop doing this. So in, in, I almost want to say retaliation, but in hand in hand with that, is there something you don't like that I've been doing or wish I would do more of? And then we just talk about it and we go, okay, let's make a deal. I will start doing the dishes more often if you stop strangling the neighbor animals, basically. that's That was a conversation we had one time. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I mean, she'll strangle a neighbor animal. Don't Don't get me wrong, but I am not doing dishes, so... Anyway, hopefully I haven't rambled about this, uh, but that really is my thought process. And if you have any opinions on whether or not a good relationship involves, you know, cutting back on the hobby a little bit, um, I am not in the camp that tell that says that you have to tell your spouse they can't do something at all. Like, I, I don't agree with that. And like I said, my defiant streak will eventually just go, hey, F you, I'm doing what I want. So... I used to have friends, this is just one little anecdote, I used to have friends over like five nights a week when I was uh, in my early 20s, before we were married, we were dating, um, before we were married and before we had kids, and uh, I used to have friends over like, no, you know, probably three nights a week. I would have them over, we'd play board games, we'd play video games, Halo, we'd watch Family Guy together, all that stuff, and I had my own apartment, and uh then once we got married, she's like, oh, well, now that we're married, you know, I guess you won't be having friends over all the time. I was like, what? I'm still having friends over. What are you talking about? And she's like, well, I don't want to have, I don't want you to have friends over all the time. I'm like, well, up yours. I'm, I'm going to have them over four nights a week now. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much to all my beautiful, sexy, good smelling Patreon patrons. And thank you to gamet.eu for supporting the show. And if you would like to, you can either join us on Patreon or you can share us or tell a friend about the show because I would love it if you would. See you next week, guys.